This morning we'll be looking at one simple verse out of Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 17, verse 32. Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Lord, as we look into your word, a word that you've told us to remember, uh, may we take it seriously. And Lord, may we ponder it. May we gather all we can from it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, when Jesus tells us to remember something, it must be important, right? And our text this morning is a command from Jesus to remember a particular person. Now the context of this reminder is is very important. Jesus is explaining how awful the world is going to get just before He comes back. Uh, The old hymnist said, Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will meet their doom and trumpets will sound. You know, and Christina was mentioning just a moment ago about the horrible state that our culture is in. And there's no greater time right now than to preach about the second coming of Christ, to sing about the second coming of Christ, and to think about the second coming of Christ. So what we see here is as the storm clouds of judgment gather, Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. As the seventh trumpet is nearing the lips of the angel, Jesus says, remember Lot's wife as the white battle horse that Jesus is going to return on is being saddled up. Jesus says to the culture, remember Lot's wife. You know, we live in a day and age where some are encouraging us to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. But Christ tells us here in the New Testament to remember something that happened in the Old Testament. And I want to remind you this morning that there's nothing new under the sun and we ought to remember every Old Testament story there is because it's there for a reason. We ought to remember the fall in Genesis chapter 3. We ought to remember the flood in Genesis chapter 6. We ought to remember the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. We ought to remember the flood waters drowning the Egyptians in Exodus 14. We ought to remember the plagues against Egypt in, in Exodus chapter 7 through 12. We ought to remember people like Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus chapter 10 who were devoured with the fire of God's judgment because they took the priesthood lightly. We ought to remember that in number 16, the earth opened up and swallowed up the sons of Korah because of their rebellion toward God. All of the Old Testament folks we ought to remember. But there are two women in the Bible that Jesus tells us to remember. One was Mary. Mary poured out a very expensive perfume on Jesus and washed His feet with her hair. Jesus said that wherever we go, this should be remembered, that she should be preached about. The other woman that Jesus tells us to remember is Lot's wife. And it's so interesting that these two women could not have been any different. Mary is remembered for her devotion. Lot's wife is remembered for her rebellion. Mary is an example to follow. Lot's wife is a warning. Mary went to heaven. Lot's wife went to hell. So today we obey the command of Jesus. Today we remember Lot's wife. Now let us begin by remembering her story. 
Now, there are things that we don't know about her. We don't know what her name was. We don't know when her anniversary was. We don't know when she married Lot. We can assume that they fell in love and had a normal marriage like most people in those days. We don't know her age. Now, we know she had a name. We know she had an anniversary. And we know she had a birthday. Maybe she even had a scrapbook with with things like that on the inside of it. But none of that matters anymore. Lot's wife is gone for all of eternity. There were people on this earth who knew Lot's wife. She probably had a lot of friends. But here's the bottom line. The Lord didn't know Lot's wife. The Lord didn't know Lot's wife. The Bible says in Psalm 9-5, You have rebuked the heathen. You have destroyed the wicked. You have put out their name forever and ever. Psalm 9, Proverbs 9-7 says, the, mis- the, the memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. Revelation 20-15, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, I'm sure that the people in Sodom loved this lady. I'm sure they probably sang her praises. She would say, well, here's a woman who stood for us. Here's a woman who was our champion. But here's the problem. This woman, in standing for this wicked city, in standing for Sodom, she stood against God. Her name may have been written in the who's who of Sodom and Gomorrah, but her name was not written in the Lamb's book of life. She is removed from the land of living for all of eternity. She's an unnamed rebel against God. The only thing we know about this woman, church, is this. We don't want to be her. We don't want to be her. Now, she moved to Sodom with her husband. Sodom was an exceedingly sinful city. Genesis 18.20 says that their their sin was grievous to God. Now there have been those who who try to discount the historical understanding of this story. It's been taught historically all throughout time that the sin of Sodom was homosexuality. Angels appeared in the form of men to come and rescue Lot and his family from the city. And in an awful turn of events, one that you'd never expect if you've never read the Bible before, these men try to rape these other men. Now, liberal interpreters don't buy this. They contend that the sin of homosexuality wasn't, uh, the sin of Sodom wasn't homosexuality. They say the sin of, of, of Sodom was rape. And they point to places like Exodus, I'm sorry, Ezekiel chapter 16 where it says, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excessive food, prosperous seas, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me. So I removed them when I saw it. So they would say the sin of Sodom was a social sin. It was a social injustice more than anything else. But the problem with that interpretation is they skip over that word abomination where he says in Ezekiel 16 that they were an abomination. That same word abomination is used in Leviticus 18.22 and I want you to listen to Leviticus 18.22. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. You can't be any clearer than that. As I've said before, the best commentary on the Old Testament is, is the New Testament. And listen to what the New Testament says about the sin of Sodom. It says this in Jude 7. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, 
are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Jude didn't say that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was social injustice. He said that their sin was gross sexual immorality. Now Genesis chapter 13 verse 10 says that Sodom was a beautiful city. And if you were a sinner, man, it was a great place to live. It was prosperous. There were plenty of liquor stores in Sodom, plenty of restaurants, plenty of shopping, plenty of opportunity, plenty of farming, plenty of houses. Ezekiel said there was pride and abundance and idleness in Sodom. Sodom. In other words, these were overfed people and well-rested people. If you looked online, Zillow would have the homes in Sodom listed high, man. It was a great place to live. For a lost person. Until judgment fell on that city. God determined to judge the city. He sent down some angels to deliver Lot and his family before judgment fell. Lot had a number of daughters. We're not sure how many, but but more than one of these daughters had married men from Sodom. And he went to them begging them. Begging them, leave this city, come out of this city. But all they did was laugh at him. All they did was mock him. And Lot's two unmarried daughters, as well as Lot's wife, escaped the city before judgment came. The Lord told him, He said, leave and don't look back. And that's an important part. Don't look back. And so after escaping the city, fire and brimstone fell from heaven, killing everybody in that city. But Lot's wife disobeyed the Lord. Lot's wife turned and looked back at the city. And when she did, judgment fell upon her. She became what Scripture calls a pillar of salt. Everybody focuses on that. A pillar of salt, a pillar of salt. Listen, that wasn't that big of a deal. Becoming a pillar of salt was the least of Lot's wife's worries. She became an eternal firebrand in hell is what she became. And that's the serious part here. That's the tragedy of this story. So that's the story. Now let's remember this morning her error. Where did she mess up? Well, Lot's wife looked back at Sodom because she loved Sodom. Listen to me. She looked back because she wanted to go back. What was it she left there? She left her heart there. And I'm so amazed that this woman loved this city considering that some of her daughters married men from this city who mocked at the very judgment of God. This city had claimed the souls of some of her daughters. And Lot's wife pitied sinners more than she feared God. And I really see a parallel. And I know why Jesus used this story when He talked about the end times because there's an easy parallel in our culture today. What we see is the normalization of homosexuality in our culture just like it was normalized in Sodom. And that's causing a whole lot of people to look back. What do I mean by look back? There are people in churches who were changing their view on homosexuality because a child is a homosexual, or a grandchild is a homosexual, or a friend is a homosexual, or a celebrity is a homosexual. And they think, surely God would never judge this person. I know this person. This is a good person. I've heard all the excuses out there in our world, y'all. And among the most popular is this. Well, Brother Kyle, we're all sinners. 
And you're right about that, dear friend. But I want you to know that no matter what you've heard, no matter what false teaching you've heard, whatever, and if you got this, you didn't get it out of the Bible, listen, all sins are not equal. They're not even close to being equal. All sins are not equal in the Old Testament. All sins are not equal in the New Testament. Will all sin send you to hell? You bet it is. Will. But it's not all equal. Jesus said, what is the greatest commandment? If there's a greatest commandment, then there are lesser commandments, obviously. You know in your life that there are some sins that are worse than others. And certainly if there are some sins that are worse than others to you and I, who have a very dim view of holiness, then certainly God looks at some sins as more terrible than others. The sin of homosexuality in the Bible is a very unique sin. It's unique. Romans 1 proves that it hastens the judgment of God. Yet we have people today in our culture who call themselves Christians and they support this. They say, well, it's not for me. I don't want to live that way, but to each his own. We even have so-called Christians today who, who may even attend a gay wedding. And they may say, well, you know what? I'm just supporting them. I'm, I'm just trying to be a witness to them. And there's a good chance that everybody in this room, at some point, you're going to have an opportunity to attend a gay wedding. And I want to explain to you this morning, if you're a Christian, why you should never do that. You should never do that. In a marriage, a covenant is being made. The whole purpose of marriage is the making of a covenant. This covenant is directed toward God. When you're marrying someone, you are promising to God that you're going to stay married to them forever. For better or for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer or for poor, to death do you part. So I want you to think about this because you're logical, folks. In a wedding, in a gay wedding, two people are promising God that they will never quit the sin of homosexuality until they die. That's what a gay wedding is. It's a promise to God that they will never ever quit the sin of homosexuality until the day. That is a blasphemous thing. Now the people who are at that wedding, what are they there for? Well, they're witnesses to the covenant. Your purpose at any wedding is to be a witness to the covenant that these people are making to God. And so all of a sudden, you've made yourself a witness to the ungodly, unholy, blasphemous covenant that these people have made. Think about that. What other sin do we do that we would make a covenant to God to never break? There's not a sin in this world that you and I can ever imagine that we would stand before God and proudly announce, Lord, I will never quit doing this sin. You see, many of us today have fallen into the error of Lot's wife. We're pitying sinners more than we're fearing God. I would ask you if you went to a gay wedding, let me ask you this. If perhaps the, the couple is there and you're walking through a line, the, the wedding's over. What will you say to these people as a Christian? Will you look at them and when you, will you say congratulations to them? Will you look at them and will you say, I'm so happy for you? Will you look at them and you'll say, God bless you? Will you look at them and say, that's so beautiful? If you're a true Christian, you could never say those things. Because all of that is blasphemous. Listen, love people, friend. We should love people, but we should love God more. Lot's wife loved the city of Sodom, loved the sin of Sodom more than she loved God. You know, you have to look at a person and see their soul. You have to look at a person and recognize this person will exist for all of eternity. And that's my primary concern for every person I ever meet. Where is their soul? Now, I also want us to remember her privileges. 
Because here was a woman who had great privileges. I would call them roadblocks on the way to hell that God had set before her. First of all, there was a believing spouse. Now, Lot was not a perfect person at all. He had major deficiencies, but he was a believer. The New Testament describes Lot like this. That when he lived in Sodom, he was vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. In other words, he hated it there. In his heart, he he heard all the people. He saw what was going on. And in his heart, he was convicted. He said, for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. He lived there and he had major issues, Lot did. But man, he knew it was wrong. He knew it was wrong. He was convicted. You know, imagine how Lot's heart must have broken when he finally made it to safety only to discover that his wife had looked back. Nothing compares to the grief that the funeral of an unsaved spouse brings. When you've been married to a person on this earth for so many years, and that person is lost, and that person won't give their life to Christ, and then you have to bury them. That's a grievous, grievous thing. Listen, we're one as a couple, but we're only one on this earth. In heaven, you're neither married nor given in marriage, Jesus said. And you're not going to make it to heaven based on your spouse. Lot's wife went to hell despite the fact that she had a husband who was saved. Despite the fact that she had a husband who was on his way to heaven, she went to hell. But God had given her the grace of a believing spouse, but she rejected that. Not only that, but she had a praying family member. Those of you who know the story know this. Abraham was her uncle. And he prayed for her in Genesis 18. He asked the Lord, he said, Lord, would you spare Sodom if you could just find ten righteous people? And there was a whole list of numbers he went through. But he finally settled down with ten. And I always wondered why in the world he always settled to ten. And I wonder this, I can't prove it with Scripture, but I wonder this. I wonder if that was the amount of people in his family there, ten. Is that why Abraham rested on that number? I want to tell you something, friend. If you have someone who's prayed for your soul and your family, you ought to praise God for them. Whoever that person is, if you've got somebody who prays for your soul, you ought to thank God for them. They may not have money to give you. They may not have an inheritance to will you. They may not have influence to promote you. But if they have prayed for your soul, they they have attempted to bring greater benefit into your life than any of those things could bring. There are a whole lot of souls who are going to go to hell that nobody ever even prayed for. If you've got a person in your family who's praying for you and praying that God would save you, you ought to bless God. You ought to thank God because that's a great privilege. God gave this woman the privilege of a believing spouse. God gave this woman the privilege of a praying family member. The third privilege we see here is divine visitations. I mean, angelic messengers came to this woman's home. In fact, Genesis 19.16 says an angel grabbed a hold of her and attempted to pull her out of the city. You know, I think about that and I think about how often the Holy Spirit has been grieved in a worship service. The Holy Spirit of God descends upon a service through the preaching of the Word of God and the worship of His Son. Conviction sets in. That's a privilege, man. I want to tell you something. If you've ever been sitting in a church service and the Word of God's been preached and your heart has been grabbed a hold of and you have been, been, been drawn 
conformed to Christ. That is a privilege, friend. And there may come a day when you'll never feel that again. When you'll never experience that again. So I'll say this, man. If the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of your heart, if there is a divine visitation in your life, man, you better obey. You better listen. Because you know what? You'll come when God calls or you won't come at all. And you may wake up one day and you'll never be called again and you'll go to hell feeling fine with no conviction at all. Oh, dear friend, that's a terrible way to go. What about all the divine visitations God has sent our way? God sends a stranger by with a track. My wife got a track in, in, in Kroger this week, a gospel track. You say, well, she say, well, praise God. That ain't going to hurt her, amen? Didn't hurt her a bit. I think it's wonderful that somebody gives out a gospel track at a grocery store, man. Or maybe you're flipping through the radio stations and, and God stops the radio right there when that old guy's preaching. Or maybe there's a song being sung of heaven. Or maybe you're driving down the interstate and God draws your attention to a billboard up there that has the gospel on it. Man, what privileges we have. Lot's wife had these divine visitations and you and I have far more than, than she ever had. You know what else she had? She had a prosperous country. She had a prosperous country. She lived in abundance. She was blessed. But instead of thinking about the goodness of God, she thought about herself. She had the freedom to worship God. She had the means to worship God, but she had no desire to do it. And man, I tell you, you look at where we live today, church. What in the world, anyone in, in, in America that dies and goes to hell, what in the world can they say on the day of judgment? I mean, man, there's just no excuse at all. It's easier to live for Christ in America than anywhere in this world. I mean, what have we got to complain about? What have we got to stop us from gathering together with fellow believers? You look at this woman and you see what privileges she had. She had a believing spouse. She had a praying family member. She had divine visitation. She had a prosperous country, yet she looked back anyway. And I'm afraid there's a whole lot of people, a whole lot of people who are just like her. God has put roadblock after roadblock after roadblock after roadblock on their drive to hell, but they just keep plowing through every roadblock intent, absolutely intent on breaking through every barrier that God has put on their way so they can plunge over the cliff one day and be submerged in the lake of fire. My friend, how much worse can it get than that? God, by His grace, given you so much. But yet you plow through it all. And let us remember her end. The last thing she saw on this earth was her beloved city. She looked back. All that she loved right back there in Sodom. All that she longed for right back there in Sodom. Surely God wouldn't judge this. This was her heart's desire. This was all that she ever wanted. God would never take away the desire of her heart. But when she turned back, she saw that He did. Before her very eyes, all that she loved and held dear was judged. Maybe she didn't even realize how much she loved that city until she left. I don't know. 
But I'll tell you how much she loved it. She loved it more than her own soul. That's how much she loved it. More than her own soul. Dear friend, you can live in Sodom if you want to, but it's expensive. Man, it's expensive. It costs Lot's wife her soul. The Bible says in 1 John 2.15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Jesus said, For what will it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You know, what good would it do to have the deed to Sodom in your hand if you're in the depths of hell? No good at all. Now, there are many people in Sodom who believe she escaped. Many in Sodom believe she escaped. Don't forget, she left the city. Her heart didn't leave, no doubt, but she left the city. Now, she wasn't a true believer. And I think she probably thought she was a believer, just like other people thought she was. But she was a false believer. And that's the point Jesus is making in Luke 17. The point he's making there is when you find yourself in an ungodly culture encouraging you to sin, perseverance proves whether you're saved or not. That's the whole point of Luke 17.32. When you find yourself in this generation of people who are going to exist just before Christ comes back, the proof of your salvation is going to be this. Did you keep on with the Lord? Did you continue with the Lord? I think the Baptists, man, they, they need to take heed to this. Because we're often guilty of valuing decisions over conversions. I want to tell you something. It doesn't matter if you paid, prayed the prayer if you're not living the life. It doesn't matter if you were baptized, if you haven't died to yourself. Have you ever noticed how many Baptists look back? I mean, all you've got to do is look at our church rolls and you'll see it. They started out, but they didn't finish. They signed up, but they never show up. They say they love God. Listen to me. This is what I'm about to say is important. They say they love God, but they spend all their time, all their money, and all their effort in the world. You can't even get them to come to church three times a week. You can't even get Baptists to give three hours a week to the Lord. They've always got some excuse, but they'll give eight, ten hours a week to sports, 18 hours a week to, to any type of, of hobby or something they have. They'll, they'll binge watch a series on Netflix in a day or two, man. But they say they love the Lord, but all their time and all their money and all their effort is spent in the world. Jesus said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And have we not cast out devils and in your name done many wonderful works? Now I want you to think about that verse because this is a very important verse out of Matthew 7, 22. If they're doing all those things, they're, they're active, aren't they? I mean, those are active people. Sounds like they're going to church. They're not going to heaven, but they're going to church. Now think about all the people who say they're saved, but can't even say those things. They say they're saved, but they can't even say, Lord, I go to church. Lord, I give. Lord, I serve. Now if the group in Matthew 7.22 aren't going to make it, and they're busy... 
then certainly the people who say, I believe, but never show a sign of any devotion to Christ, never show a sign of any spiritual fruit in their lives, certainly those people aren't going to make it because they don't even have what these people have. Listen, you can fool people, you can fool your family, and you can fool yourself, but you can never fool God. You can never, ever fool God. The saddest part about this story here is this poor woman went to hell. I think about Lot's wife, and I think, I think, I think she changed. And I think it was the culture of Sodom that influenced her. You know, her husband wanted to live there. Wanted to be there. Had he known what it would do to his wife, he probably wouldn't have. And I see the culture, the spirit, if you want to call it that, of Sodom influencing so many in our culture today. And today we're being forced to choose. And there are people who say, well, Brother Kyle, why are you mentioning homosexuality so much lately? Because listen, y'all, almost every generation has this major sin. The one in ours is that. You hear me? It's not enough to have gay marriage. Now all of a sudden, you have to accept it. Or you're evil, you're terrible, you're horrible. You don't love people. Listen to me, friend. God loves homosexuals. But if they do not repent, they won't go to heaven. They'll go to hell with the drunk who won't repent. They'll go to hell with the atheist who won't repent. They'll go to hell with the proud person who won't repent. They're going to hell. Lot's wife loved the people of Sodom. Now she's with them forever and ever and ever. And if you love the world that much, then you're in danger. People say that. They say, I've had people tell me this. Well, if my grandfather didn't go to heaven, then I don't want to go either. My dear friend, do you have any idea what you're saying? If you could talk to your grandpa right now, he'd call you a fool. He'd say, you fool. Don't come here. You don't want to be here. And it breaks my heart that we live in this culture of people who refuse to believe in a God who would not affirm a sin like homosexuality. And that's your choice if you want to believe that. But I'm telling you, man, that choice is going to send this person to hell. And dear friend, you know what's right. You know what God says. All of this spirit of Sodom is unnatural. You know that. The only reason that some people are giving into it is because you want people to like you. Or you refuse to believe that this person is not on their way to the same heaven that you're hoping to go to. Dear friend, that's not logical thinking. It's not logical thinking at all. In your mind and in your heart, you know that this is not a natural thing. You know that it is unnatural. And never ever choose sin over salvation. Lot's wife regrets looking back. Lot's wife has regretted looking back for many centuries. And Lot's wife will regret looking back for all of eternity. And my dear friend, if you die, if you die in the same way that she died, what you affirm today and what you cling to today and what you fight for today in all of eternity, you will hate the decision that you have made. You will regret it, I promise you. 
You know why I don't look back, church? I don't look back. I've come to Christ. We, we sung that song just a while ago. You, you know, that it's, it's shame and reproach gladly bear. Gladly bearing the shame and reproach. I don't look back, folks, because I believe in hell. And I believe in hell as much as I believe in heaven. And every person on this earth is headed in one of two directions, either heaven or hell. And I meet people on their way to hell all the time. And I can talk to these people, and I can love these people, and I can pray with these people, but there's one thing I can't do, church. I can't turn and go with them. You hear me? I can't turn and go with them to hell. I can love them, I can pray for them, I can witness to them, but I can't turn and go with them. Lot's wife said, I'm going to turn and I'm going to go with them. Oh folks, if they go that way, they have to go without me. They have to go without me. Now the second to the last thing, I said the last thing she saw was her beloved city. Think about this. The second to the last thing she saw on this earth was the salvation of her family. She watched two daughters and her husband make it to safety. And that must haunt her to this day. They made it. I didn't. Friend, don't just witness your family's salvation. You'll go to a funeral one day for your mother or grandmother and and people will say, thank God she was saved. Thank God she's in heaven. And you'll witness that. You'll know that, that your grandmother or your mother or your father or brother or sister, whoever, they made it. But don't just witness your family's salvation. Walk with them to heaven. And don't just walk halfway. Stay on the path, man. And don't look back. Hell is real. And it's hotter if you were closer to heaven at one point. It's a lot hotter if you were closer to heaven and then found yourself in hell. Man, it's a lot worse. And so dear friend, this morning understand that if Christianity is worth anything, it's worth everything. It's not something that we put just a few dollars in, man. It's take the whole wallet, Lord. I'm 100% in. And I won't look back. There's an old song that we sing, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. No turning back. And so this morning, I want you to remember Lot's wife, church. I want you to remember her story. Because that story is the story we're living today, and Jesus said it would be the story that we would live in the end times. I want you to remember her error. Her error was she loved people more than she loved God. She chose sin over the Lord. Remember her privileges, all the roadblocks that God had placed on her journey to hell. And remember her end. Remember her end. And dear friend, don't be her. Remember Lot's wife. Perhaps you're in here this morning and you need to be saved. Turn from your sin, friend. Christ loves you. He died on the cross for you. He rose again. It's your responsibility to turn from your sin and confess Christ as the Lord of your life. Do that this morning if you would. Maybe this morning you've been tempted by Sodom. Sodom has been whispering in your ear and and you're, you're thinking about turning back on things that you know have been right for years and years. And, and those whispers are encouraging you to turn away from those things that are true. Silence those whisperings with the truth of Scripture this morning. And say, no, 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 no. I'm all in for the Lord. 
Maybe this morning you need to be an Abraham. Maybe this morning you have a family member that you need to pray for. They need that privilege in their life that you give. Maybe you want to come to this altar and pray. Whatever it is that you need to do business with God about this morning, I hope you'll come. Father in heaven, we love you.